If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jonah, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship, and you can follow along there as we continue to work through the book of Jonah. We just started last week, and uh, if you guys were here last week, you remember seeing how Jonah, basically in the first three verses, Jonah was making every mistake he could possibly make as God calls out to him and tells him to go to Nineveh, go to the, the enemies of Israel, and to cry out and, and to proclaim God's presence and his rule to the people of Nineveh. And instead of doing what God tells him to do, he turns and he runs. And he ignores God's word, he runs from God's presence, and he tries to limit God's grace and his kindness to these other people. He wants to kind of hold on to God's grace all for himself and not give it to anybody else. And uh, we're going to continue looking at the rest of chapter 1 this morning, and, and what we're going to see is some of the consequences of what, it, what happens to a person when they run from God. But as always, as if, you, if you seek him, if you run to him, we'll also find out that there's good news here. There's a lot of good news here about who God is and how faithful he is. So listen to God's word. As I read Jonah 1, 4 to 17, remember Jonah has run from God's presence. He's trying to run, and so he's just got on a ship that's headed to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction from Nineveh. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would work by your spirit through your words here. Um, we pray that as the words come out of my mouth, that your truth would find its way through them and that, uh, and that your truth would find its way to our hearts and that you would change us. 
Father, we pray that you would help us to listen to what you had to say this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not fun to live life on the run. I mean, I've never lived life on the run, I'll be honest, but I, I'm guessing it. It's not fun to live life on the run. I've seen enough TV shows or movies to, to know that when you're on the run, it takes its toll on you, you know? Um, a, a couple of years ago, there was a TV show, kind of an obscure TV show. I don't know if anybody got it, saw it, but it was like it was a, a competition where there were these pairs of people who would sign up for the show, and then they would get a call, and they would say, okay, uh, you have one hour to escape, just in their daily lives. And the show was called Hunted. And so they, they would go through all their drawers and like, like as fast as they could, just get some clothes and stuff them in a bag and they would take off. And the object of the game, of the show, was that if they could evade capture for 28 days, I think it was, and they had, they had like a team of experts, of law enforcement experts, people from the CIA, people from the FBI, all, all sorts of different people um, that were trying to track them down. If they could evade capture, they won a, you know, some like large sum of money. I don't know if it's a million dollars or $500,000 or whatever. And, uh, and it, it was a little disturbing to see how easily the experts tracked them down, you know, wh whether they were using the people's phones or they were using uh, highway cameras or even social media or ATM cameras, things like that. The most of the people got tracked down like really quickly, but some of the people actually lasted for a week or two weeks. And, and the thing was, though, as you watch these people, it really took its toll on them. You know, they, they, had this, they started to live with this constant paranoia, constantly looking over their shoulder, you know, wondering who they could trust. They, they, were, they were worn out. They were exhausted. They weren't getting much sleep because they couldn't find places to sleep other than, like, in their cars or, or in tents or things like that. Um, they were cut off from the people that they knew and loved, and so they were, they were lonely. Um, and and they, they were hungry. They couldn't eat very much because they couldn't go to ATMs to get money out because they knew they would be found out if they went to an ATM and got money out. So it, it took its toll. They were worn ragged, they were exhausted, and it took its toll on them. I, I think Jonah learns pretty quickly as he runs from, as he tries to run from the presence of God, that it takes its toll on him. Um, and, and more than just running from the presence of God, what he was running from was he was running from what God was calling him to be, what God was calling him to do. Um, in a sense, he was, he was running from God's calling upon him, his life, as we've been talking about, to be a glimpse of heaven to demonstrate God's presence, to demonstrate God's power, to demonstrate God's rule over the people around him and the people that are around us. And he was running from that, and it takes its toll on him. I think that there is something that we don't realize, or maybe something we don't want to recognize, which is that we have this in common with Jonah. All of us, in different ways, end up running from God. We end up running from God, what God calls us to do, the, the way that God calls us to live. Um, we, we run in different areas of our lives. We, and when, I, when I say we run from him, basically it just means that we do not submit our lives to him in every aspect of our lives. Um, and, and, and basically the, the, the general term for this that the Bible uses is sin. That the, and, and you might be kind of disagreeing with me, like, oh, wait, I'm sitting in church, how can I be running from God? But I think there's all sorts of different ways and subtle ways that we are running from him, that, that we fail, that, that we, we, we disobey him, that, that we fail to submit our will to his. And instead, we pursue our own selfish desires and wants and needs. You've got to hand it to Jonah. As much as he's done wrong here, one thing that he does do that you've got to admire him for is he's kind of honest. You know, can you imagine he gets on the ship with these guys 
and they're like, okay, uh, you want a passage to Tarshish or whatever? And, 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 and so they get talking, and they're like, so why, why are you going to Tarshish? And he's like, well, I'm running from God. <laughs> you know, we know that. That's what he, it says in, uh, in verse 10, that he had told them that he was running from the presence of the Lord. So you've got to hand it to Jonah that he, at least he was honest with the people around him. And so I want to encourage you guys all, us, us, all of us, to be honest about the fact that, yes, it's true. Look in our hearts. We are running from God. Where are we running from God in our lives? Um, because I think every single one of us are in different ways. Um, maybe some of us, whether you, if, if you're a Christian, you're running from God in just subtle ways, in the ways that you, you fail to, to submit to, to what God wants for you in your marriage or, or in your work, in the way that you do your work, and the way that you treat people. Um, in the things that you're pursuing, in your goals, um, in the way that you're spending your time. Uh, but then there are some of us maybe here who aren't, wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, and maybe it's just that you are really running from dealing with God. You, you, you don't want to believe in him. You don't want to believe that he has any right to say anything to you in your life. Um, Every single one of us, I would argue, is running from God in different ways, and it takes its toll. One of the first things I want to talk about, I want to talk about two things this morning. One is, um, as I look at Jonah, as he runs from God, it takes its toll on him, and he seems to be a man who is disintegrating. I see some different ways that he's disintegrating, and he's kind of falling apart as he runs from God. But what I also want to focus on is the faithfulness of God, that, that as you read this passage, what you see more clearly than anything is the design of the one who is ruling over all things and over Jonah's life. Okay, so first I want to just talk about, first of all, what is the, what is the toll that running from God takes on us? If we're going to run from God, if we're not going to submit to him in everything, if we're not going to seek to see how he wants us to live and, and, and bow before him and, and try, to, try to live as he wants us to, um, how might it take its toll on us? Well, the first thing that happens to Jonah that I notice about Jonah is that his, his life is disintegrating as he descends into the darkness, okay? Um, he gets on the ship, and, and the, the God brings this wind about, starts this huge storm, and it's, this storm is so mammoth, so gigantic, that the, these experienced professional sailors on the ship are panicking, right? They're doing everything they possibly can to try to save themselves and save the ship. They're crying out to their gods. They're starting to throw stuff overboard, right? They're throwing the cargo overboard. And they are in panic mode because this thing is, this is a huge storm. And it says that the ship is threatening to break apart, right? Can you imagine the chaos that is happening in the midst of the storm? And as the, all of this chaos is going on, where is Jonah? What is he doing? Well, the captain decides to go find Jonah. And, and it turns out that Jonah is in the innermost part of the ship, right? He's in the innermost part of the ship, and what is he doing? He had laid down, and he is fast asleep. He's sleeping. He's in a deep sleep right down there in the midst of a ship that is threatening to break apart. Can you imagine? What, what could cause a person to be able to sleep in the midst of that chaos? I, mean, I, I can only think of a couple reasons. One, that you are so certain that you are going to be fine, that you are safe, that you're secure. That, uh, that, that you're at rest and you don't have to worry about anything else. I, I doubt that that was the situation for Jonah, who, who is running from the one who has brought the storm, right? The only other reason that I can think of, and because I could, I could see myself in Jonah, is that he wants to escape. He doesn't want to deal with what's going on around him. He wants to hide from what he is doing and the consequences of his life. He just doesn't want to deal. I, I, I say I see myself in Jonah in this because a lot of times in my life when things are overwhelming, 
And when, when things are out of control, when, when I just don't want to deal with certain situations that are going to be difficult, one of the things that I am tempted to do is just go crawl, crawl into my bed under my covers and curl up and sleep and just not deal with it. I would imagine there are some of you guys here who are like that, who just want to escape life. Your, your will to deal with life just kind of disintegrates, right? And you just want to hide in the darkness, I bet there's some, some of you who are like, you know, I, I really never do that. I don't escape life because I sleep. But I think a lot of us, even if you don't escape into the depths of, of, you know, the back of your eyelids, there are a lot of us who escape and try to hide in all sorts of other areas in our lives. You know, we hide ourselves in our work because we don't want to deal with what's going on in our families. Or we hide ourselves um, in, in the darkness of, of, of our hobbies, of the things that we, you know, like to do. Um, we hide ourselves in our, in our exercise, um, in our sports and TV as we binge watch a TV show, you know, because we just don't want to deal with things and our will to deal with life disintegrates. And I think that's one of the things that I see is as you run from God, this is one of the consequences that we end up turning to other things to try to hide. The other thing, I w- the other way that I see uh, Jonah disintegrating is he, d- he, he descends into doubt he descends into doubt, and I'm mainly talking about doubt in himself, and I'm not sure if I can really prove this, so you can take this with a grain of salt, but, but as in, uh, in verse 8, when the, uh, the sailors bring Jonah up you know, on deck, and they say, well, I don't know where they are when they say this, but they say to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah answers them. He says, well, I'm a Hebrew. That's the people I'm a part of. And, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry ground, the dry land. It's kind of convicting words coming out of his mouth as the, the sea is churning all around them, right? But if you notice, there's one of the questions that he doesn't answer here. He doesn't answer one of those questions. He, he answers kind of most of their questions generally, but there's one of the questions that he doesn't answer. He doesn't answer their first one. And when they say, what is your occupation? He doesn't say that he's a prophet, which is exactly what he is. He's you know, living in denial of his occupation, of what, his, of what God has made his identity to be. He's kind of lost who he is, in a sense. He has doubts about, about who he is, about his identity. And I think that's another byproduct, another, uh, another consequence, as we run from God, as we fail to, to honor him and, and seek to serve him and seek to figure out how he wants us to be living Another consequence of that is we lose ourselves. We lose uh, a sense of really who we are, a firm sense of our identity. The third thing, the way I see Jonah disintegrating is uh, he disintegrates as he descends into death. He comes to a point where he doesn't seem to think his life is worth living anymore, right? When they say, you know, how are we going to solve our problem? He said, what does he tell him? He says, throw, throw me into the water. Kill me. That's the only solution here, just my life, you know. You, you, as you read through the book of Jonah, you kind of see that Jonah has this recurring kind of death wish. He just wants to die. Is that really the only solution to his problem? For them to throw him into the water so that he will die? It's interesting. I mean, the, the, everybody's calling on their gods. The captain comes down and he says, get up, man. Call on your god. And he might think of us. We might not perish. Could not have Jonah called on God at that point and said, I'm sorry. 
Forgive me. I mean, later we find out Jonah knows that God is gracious and compassionate. Jonah knows this about God. And if he's afraid that God's going to be compassionate to these evil people in Nineveh, can't he be confident that God's going to be compassionate on him too? Couldn't he have said, God, have mercy on me? Was really the only option for Jonah to die? But I think Jonah has come to a place where he's like, "Ah, my life's not worth it. It's not worth it living. And I think that's another byproduct, another, another thing that happens as he runs from the presence of God, the one who is life itself. He comes to understand, he comes to believe, not understand, he comes to believe that his life isn't worth it. His life is meaningless. And his life is only good if, if he's not alive anymore. And I think this, we see this happening in the lives of people around us all the time. I mean, yes, the severe case is those who, who do come to a place where they feel like there is no hope. And they do seek to end their life. But I think that there is also, in the reality of our daily lives, some of us, as we run from God, as we fail to, to really seek to submit our lives to him, we come to a place where life doesn't seem to have much meaning. And we just end up kind of going through the motions of our lives, whether it's in our work or in our relationships with our, with our spouse our kids. We kind of just go through the motion. We kind of kind of enter this phase of, of kind of a living death. Where we just go through the motions of life without re- really engaging with life. As though it, it means something. As though it matters. And so Jonah, I, I, as I look at this, I see Jonah disintegrating. Um, he disintegrates into darkness, into doubt, into death. But the one thing that comes shining through, comes out more clearly than anything, and this is what I, I, I pray that we, we get this morning, is the design of the one who rules. As you look at this passage, as you look at this chapter, one of the things that comes, comes out more clearly than anything, uh, as I can see, is that God is in control. God is constantly doing all sorts of things, working behind the scenes and working in, in blatant ways, providing things, doing things, to, to orchestrate all that happens to chase Jonah down and to corner him, if you will. And you see God working through all sorts of things. The very first thing that happens in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. God is in control of the weather, right? He is the one that causes this incredible chaotic storm to happen. You see God working through the, this casting of lots as, as these guys, you know, we're not sure exactly what lots were. It was, a, it was some way that, that people would use to kind of figure out the will of their particular God. Sometimes they, we don't know if it was like throwing down sticks or throwing rocks down or something like that. But God uses the casting of the lots to, to put his finger on Jonah, to say, this is the guy. This is the guy you need to talk to. This is the guy you need to deal with. You see, obviously, you see at the, the very last verse, the reason uh, I wanted to read the last verse, you see God providing the fish, right? The Lord appointed the fish to swallow him. God is working in all of these things. One subtle way that you might not notice is, and especially because I don't have the first verse of the, of the chapter, I think God works through the, through the captain as he comes and, and seeks out Jonah. It's really interesting. As, as the captain comes and, and starts yelling at Jonah, and he says, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Um, something that you wouldn't notice if you want to look at this later. If you have a Bible, you can see it now. In the very first verse, when God speaks to Jonah in the first two verses, God says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, and call out. He says, arise and call out. He uses these specific words. 
the captain uses the same words that God uses earlier. And when Jonah hears those words, I think it's very likely that Jonah hears the voice of God saying, dude, what do you think you're doing? What are you doing? And even God inviting him to call out to him. Right? It's amazing. God is working through all of these things. God is sovereign. God is in control. That is what I see as I look at this passage. And the good news is that he exercises his rule. He exercises his control in pursuing those those who are faithless. As Jonah runs from him, Jonah just wants to get away from God, and yet God orchestrates everything to say, Jonah, I'm not going to let you get away. God corners Jonah, as I said before. He says, Jonah, you cannot run from me. You cannot run from me. I'm not going to let you run from me. No matter how much you fail, no matter how faithless you are, God is coming after Jonah, and I think he comes after each and every one of us. This is important for us to see that, that, that God is using everything in our lives to say, don't run. Stop running. Trust me. Run to me, not from me. Um, there are some people I, I, I know that, that, that are Christians that you know, they, they often look at the circumstances in their lives and that they, they let those things kind of they, they, they often refer to God speaking through those circumstances to them and they let those things kind of guide, like tell them what God's will for their life is. I, I think that, that we can kind of do that a little too much. <laughs> but I think one thing, there's a really good healthy perspective that we can have on all of the circumstances, all the things that we have in our life. And what Jonah 1 tells us is that everything that happens, God is in control of. God is sovereign over. God is ruling over and he is using it all. So as I live my life and something unexpected happens that makes my life difficult, that makes my life hard, I need to realize that that difficult thing is actually God saying, don't run from me. God working through that thing. When something painful comes in my life, does God make painful things happen to us? No. But I think God allows pain to happen in our lives to Gently and sometimes strongly say to us, stop running. Turn to me. Cry out to me as he pursues us. Everything that happens in your life, the small inconveniences, the big unexpected things, is God's work. And he's working to say, don't run. Turn to me. Trust me. Um, and so he uses his, his sovereignty and his rule to pursue those who are faithless. He also uses his sovereignty and rule to persuade those who are fearful. One of the themes in this passage is fear. As you look at the, the mariners, the, the, the sailors, fear is mentioned three times when it comes to them. First, when the, 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 the Lord hurls a mighty wind, a great wind upon the sea. And in verse 5, it says the mariners were afraid, right? And then, <coughs> excuse me, later in verse 10, It says the men were exceedingly afraid when they find out that Jonah is running from God and God is the one who is responsible for everything. They're terrified because of the circumstances of the storm and the fact that they might die. They're afraid. But then it's interesting, after they throw Jonah into the sea and and the sea becomes calm, what happens? They fear, yes, but it says that they feared the Lord exceedingly in verse 16. 
the lives of the mariners, the lives of the sailors have been transformed as they've encountered God, the sovereign God, the one who works over all things. And even they confess it in verse 14. They said, when they pray to God, they say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. That is the one thing they have learned, that the God of heaven, the Lord of the sea and the land is the one who is Lord of all things. And he does exactly what he wants. He does whatever pleases him. He is in control. And we're not exactly sure what the character of the faith of these guys is. Are they really true believers in the Lord? I think the evidence points to the fact that they are. I mean, they use the same, uh, it uses the same way to describe them, the men fear the Lord exceedingly, as Jonah refers to as himself. Earlier in the passage, it says, I fear the Lord, right? And they use the word the Lord, which is uh, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the, the name God gives his people to say, I am your God and you will be my people. Um, they've been transformed. And, and, and the way that they've been transformed is they've, they've lived through this terrifying experience. But what they've learned is that no matter how scary the circumstances they were experiencing were, that God was bigger. That he was bigger than their circumstances. And that he was in control of them. And, and that's, again, something that we all need to know and learn and believe because every single one of us, I know, are going through scary things, have gone through scary things, will go through scary things. We will be afraid. I know that for a fact that there are people in here this morning and you are afraid. And what you need to know, what you need to, to cling to, is that no matter how scary your circumstances are, God is bigger than those circumstances. Whether it's a circumstance with your work or with your health, with your future, with your family. God is bigger. We need to be persuaded of this. We need to believe this. And lastly, the last thing you, you see as you uh, think about God's sovereignty and his control over Jonah's story is this, that, that he's pointing to the one who is faithful here in this story. There, there's some, as you look at Jonah, it's interesting, there's some uh, similarities between Jonah and Jesus, as you look at later in the Bible, they both find themselves asleep in a boat in a major storm. Remember that story about Jesus and his disciples? There's a point where he's sleeping in the boat and his disciples are panicking. That's about, you know, the, the length of the similarities between Jonah and Jesus. They both sleep in a boat with people panicking around them. Because, you know, Jonah is guilty, Jesus is innocent. Jonah is sleeping because he wants to escape. Jesus is sleeping because... He doesn't have to worry about anything. He's in control of everything. You know, Jonah has to, uh, his only solution to, to make the waves stop is to be thrown as the guilty one into the water. Jesus, in order to make the waves stop, he just stands up and says, be still. Because he is the one who rules over everything. But it's also interesting. There, there is one similarity that I don't think as the first people who read the book of Jonah would have noticed or, or anything. But as we look back, we can see that this point in, in Jonah's life, this, this uh, episode in Jonah's life, actually gives us a picture of the work of Jesus. Because there is a similarity in this, is that Jonah is thrown into the water as a sacrifice. And as he sacrifices himself, he saves the men on board. Right? In the same way, Jesus sacrifices himself. Even though he is innocent, he sacrifices himself as the guilty one on the cross. And that is how we are saved. 
This little episode in Jonah's life gives us a picture of the work of Christ. That even though he didn't have to die, he should not have died, he went and he sacrificed himself to take God's judgment upon himself for us. And the amazing thing is that God and Jesus are, are, are sovereign over this whole thing. He didn't have to do it, but he did it in order to pursue those who are faithless, in order to pursue you and me, in order to make a way for us to be accepted and forgiven and understand that we are loved. And this is why we must run to God instead of away from him. This is why we have to run to God instead of away from him. Running away from him brings about a life that slowly but surely disintegrates and falls apart. Running away in our daily lives, in our thought life, in our goals, in our pursuits, running away from his calling on us to display who he is in our conversation, running away leads to a life that where, where we, we, we're not sure who we are. Uh, it leads to a life where we, we don't want to deal. It leads to a life where we don't really feel like it's worth it. But running to him and receiving what Christ has done for us to sacrifice himself for us so that we might live produces the opposite. It produces a, a life that is full, a life that is full of purpose and meaning. It produces a, a life where we know who we are without a shadow of a doubt. We don't have to doubt who we are because we are children, sons and daughters of the king. It leads to, to a life where we are able to be brave and engage rather than try to escape because we know that the one who is on our side and who loves us is sovereign over all things. We don't have to fear. Let's run to him instead of running away this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to see, um, help us to be honest with ourselves about ways that we are running from you this morning. And as we think about those things, we pray that you would help us to repent, to turn from those things and, and to turn towards you, to cry out to you because you are merciful and you are good and you are bigger than anything that might threaten us or cause us to fear. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.